Hello, everyone. Uh, I want to acknowledge our, our West Campus, those gathered at our West Campus and our traditions venue. Uh, so glad all of you are here. You know, our goal really in, in gathering together like this is to encounter God. That's why we're here. We're not here to go through some rituals or routines or whatever. We want to experience God in a real way. In fact, we design our worship services, our worship gatherings to create space for people to encounter and respond to God. This is why the message or the sermon comes fairly early in our worship service. The reason is because we want God's word to move us to response. And so that response may involve personal reflection or prayer or singing or the Lord's Supper. We want to create an environment in which we are free to respond to God. And along those lines, I want to mention something new that's going to be happening. Beginning next week, we're going to be incorporating another worshipful response opportunity after the message. And that is the response of generosity. Giving to God, giving to God is an act of worship. So we thought it would be cool if there was a way for people to give to the Lord in this response time, after the message, in this response time. So rather than having the pressure of, you know, having a bucket passed to you 10 minutes into the service, you know, rather than that, the pressure of that, giving could be done anytime during or after a worship service. So you will notice that around the room and in the lobby, we now have several giving stations where you can express your generosity through Christ's community before during, or after our worship services. So starting next week, we will no longer be passing the buckets in our services, but we will be encouraging those who want to give to do so via the giving stations, again, as a response of worship. Now, you, of course, you can always, always give, also give online. You can give, utilize text to give, um, which many of you already do. And as always, I just want to thank you for your generosity through Christ's community. Your giving to God in this way, God is using that to change people's stories. Now, speaking of changing people's stories, we are in the midst of a, a series of messages entitled Wholeheartedness. What does it look like to live with a whole heart? And I'm convinced that this teaching series has the power to change people's stories in a significant way. It has the power to shape the kind of church that we want to be, a church that actually helps people experience healing from their heart wounds. I mean, the reality is all of the issues that are so prevalent and, 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 and debilitating really today, anxiety, depression, and despair, and addiction, and suicide, and self-hatred, on and on and on. All of these things are a reflection of an assault on our hearts as humans. It's an assault on our heart. And, 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 and so what we've been discovering is that this, this assault on our heart has a, has a root cause, and that root cause is shame. It's fascinating to note that when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time in the Garden of Eden and all the way back in Genesis 3, the primary evidence for that decision was shame. 
They started hiding from each other immediately. That's what shame causes us to do. Shame is this deeply held feeling that there's something wrong with me. There, and, and because there's something wrong with me, I am unworthy of being loved. I'm unworthy of fitting in and belonging. I have to hide. I have to put up this, this good front. I have to be perfect. I have to keep it all together. I have to look beautiful. I have to be successful. See, and this shame is wreaking havoc in our lives. It's wreaking havoc in our society. It's wreaking havoc in our lives, as we've seen for the past few weeks. Shame leads us into all sorts of unhealthy, destructive, sinful things. Jealousy and anger and addiction and disobedience to God. Okay, so, so we've, we've been talking about that. But here, here's the good news. God has a plan to deal with our sin and our shame. In the gospel, we have this amazing antidote to our shame. And that antidote is love. It's love, experiencing the love of Jesus in our places of shame. So Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. See, God's love has the power to heal our shame. As we allow the Holy Spirit into those painful, shameful places in our hearts, we can begin to experience his wholeness. Now, we talked in detail about that last week. So if you missed that message, I encourage you to check it out online or on our app. Okay, so today, today, I want us to focus on a critical aspect of living in the reality of God's love. In other words, how do we live out what Romans 5, 5 is describing? How do we live that out? So in order to answer that, I want to go back to the Genesis story one more time. There's so much. I love those first few chapters of Genesis because there is so much there answering the why question, why we struggle with what we struggle with. So there's so much there. So I want to go back again to there. The story is so powerful because it shows us, again, it shows us why we struggle with shame and it helps point to the solution. So immediately after Adam and Eve give in to this sin, God shows up on the scene and Adam runs for cover. So God asks, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. Again, we see how shame breeds this fear of being exposed, right? This, this hiding. But what I want us to focus on today is what God says next to Adam. He asks this really interesting question. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Adam was naked in chapter two and he's naked in chapter three, but now there's a huge difference. Now his nakedness is a self-conscious thing. He is filled with shame about being naked. But notice again, this question that God asks, who told you? that you were naked? Who told you that you need to hide who you really are? See, what we see in this passage is that shame has a voice. Shame has a voice. And the more we listen to that voice, the more our lives will be devastated by shame. Okay, so let's talk about this voice. The, 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 this voice of shame, it can come from multiple places, okay? It can come from a variety of places. So as we talked about last week, for one thing, it can come from these places of pain in our past. 
Some of us grew up in a family that we now realize was totally shame-based. There was a culture of shame, of putting people down, of making fun of each other. Or, or maybe a parent that was overly critical. We could never do enough. We could never do it right. We could never be smart enough. We could never be beautiful enough. So maybe you grew up in a, in a family like that. Or in terms of our past, it could also be things that we regret, things that we've done that we feel ashamed about, mistakes we made, bad decisions, we, you know, people we hurt, all that stuff. So the past is a huge source of shame. Another source of shame is the world around us. This is where we hear tons of voices of shame from the world around us. This, this, this unreachable standard of physical beauty that we are bombarded by. Television and movies, magazines, the internet bombards us with this expectation of what beauty is and, and the need for us to be that way, right? Um, Mariana Wakefield shared uh, just a heartbreaking statistic a few weeks ago how worldwide, worldwide, only 4% of women consider themselves beautiful. 4%. And yet 80% of those women see beauty in other women. See, that's shame. It magnifies our inadequacy and it magnifies everyone else's strengths, Right? So in all of these subtle and honestly not so subtle ways, the world around us is continually telling us, you're not enough. You're not enough. The world kind of magnifies our inadequacies and it magnifies everyone else's strengths. It just does that. It just says you're not enough. You're not young enough. You're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. You're not successful enough. You're not rich enough. See, the, the whole idea of marketing is to try to convince us that we're not enough, right? So that we'll buy something that will make us be enough, right? I mean, the whole idea is that you're, you're not complete. You're not really happy unless you have this or you can do that or, 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 or you look like this, right? And, and, and so that's a whole, the whole, the world just continually, um, these voices of shame come from the world around us. And then finally, another voice of shame in our lives is the voice of the enemy, of Satan, right? One, one of Satan's primary strategies is to stir up shame in our lives. He loves to tell us we're not enough. In fact, his name, Satan, his name in Hebrew means accuser, accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does, right? He accuses God's people. In other words, he shames them. He whispers to our hearts and our minds thoughts that cause us to want to hide. Thoughts that, you know, words that cause us to feel shame about how we look or who we are, all these things, right? So we have all these voices of shame that are telling us we're not enough. You have the voice of the world. It's all around us. You have the voice of, of the enemy. And then you have these messages from our past, right? From our upbringing or things we've done in our past. Now, when you hear that, you may think, man, that feels overwhelming. If shame is coming at us from all these places, that feels overwhelming. How could we possibly break free from shame when we have so many voices of shame speaking into our lives? Well, there is a truth there, here's a truth I want to share with you that completely turns the table on that. Totally. 
It completely turns the table. This truth I'm going to share with you is a total game changer when it comes to shame. So here's, here's the main idea. I want you to get this truth. Here we go. The voices of shame only have impact in our lives if we choose to listen to them. These voices of shame, these voices, this voice of that inner critic that is always trying to convince you that you're not enough, right? These voices do not have impact if we don't listen to them, if we don't embrace them as true. Now, this is amazing news. What I just said is amazing news. What it means is you have the power to overcome these messages of shame. They don't have to control you and influence you any longer. Okay, so I want to unpack that because that's a really powerful thing. I want to unpack this further um, by looking initially here. I want us to look at a really cool example of someone in the Bible who totally understood this and totally practiced this. So we spent a lot of time earlier in this series looking at King Saul, who over and over again listened to the voices of shame, right? From within, from people around him, and it ultimately destroyed him. Saul's life was just destroyed by shame. He just kept choosing sinful responses. But when you look at his story, his sinful responses were rooted in this shame. Well, as Saul was being devastated by shame, into the picture comes this young man named David who shows us a totally different way of living. David shows us what it looks like to live with a whole heart. See, David was the total antithesis of Saul. We spent a couple weeks looking at Saul. Man, how shame devastated him. David was a total antithesis of Saul. So we see multiple examples of this, but one of the really vivid ones here is on display in 1 Samuel 17, which is a fairly familiar chapter because in this chapter, we see the Israelites and the Philistines who are separated by a valley. They're each encamped on opposite sides of a valley. And every day out of the Philistine camp, this nine foot tall giant, that's three feet taller than I am right here. This nine foot tall giant comes out, this giant named Goliath. He comes out to challenge the Israelites and to taunt them. Are you not the servants of Saul? He asks Send one of your men to fight me and we will decide this once and for all. So we're told that Saul and his men were terrified. They were terrified of Goliath. Every day when he'd come out, they were just terrified of this. And so while this is happening, while this whole episode is happening, we're introduced to this teenager named David. He was the youngest of eight children and his dad sent him to the front lines to see how his three oldest brothers were doing. They were in Saul's army. So his dad sends him to go see how his brothers are doing. And when David arrives, he hears Goliath's taunt, right? He hears Goliath give his challenge. But instead of cowering in fear, David starts asking some of the men, what will be done for the man who kills this giant, right? Who kills this guy? How dare he defy the armies of the living God? Okay, now you think I'm going to tell the story of him killing Goliath. I'm not. There's something that happens really important. There's something important that happens before that. And most of us have 
never seen this. I hadn't until I read the story again. I was like, whoa, okay, so here we go. Check out what happens in verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. This is David's older brother speaking to him this way. Eliab is shaming David. First he says, who did you leave the few sheep with? See, he's mocking him. He's making fun of him. He's highlighting the fact that David only watches sheep, but all the other men around here are, are soldiers. So he's mocking him about that. And then he goes after his character. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. What? I mean, wh why is he saying this? That's not even close to being true. David was only there because his dad sent him to actually take his brothers some food. He was, David was trying to help them. But his brother doesn't see that. He launches into this diatribe where he questions David's motives. He assaults his character and he makes fun of his position as a shepherd. And this is from his brother. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have family members like that? As I, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of you grew up in families like this, where there, were, there, there was this culture, there was this dynamic of shame and people criticizing and making fun of each other and putting each other down and questioning motives and assassinating character, all that stuff. Some of you grew up in a family like that. Okay, but here's what I love about this story. Look at how David responds. <clears throat> Verse 29. Now what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. I love this. I love David's response. Notice what he does. First, he totally calls his brother on it. What have I done? Can't I even speak? In other words, since when are you the boss of me? Right? That's what he's saying here. And then he just turns and starts talking to someone else. See, that's how you deal with the voices of shame. You call them out and you stop listening to them. You call them out and you stop listening to them. I see you and I'm not partnering with you. See, notice he doesn't get into this long, drawn-out argument with his brother, you know, taking four hours to try and defend himself. And, but remember when I, you know, all that stuff, he doesn't do that. And he doesn't play the victim. Oh, I'm going to tell dad what you said, and he's going to get you, you know. He doesn't do that. David just calls it out, and then he stops listening to it. This is brilliant. This is exactly how we deal with our shame. We call it out. I see you. I see you, shame. I know what you're trying to do, and I am not cooperating. I am not going to stand here and let you keep pooping on me, okay? I am not going to embrace what you are saying about me. I'm not. I'm not. Now, contrast David's response to Saul, we have a really interesting, similar scenario, at least when Saul was David's age at this point, Saul was a teenager and it, he, he experienced some people shaming him. And it was all the way back in 1 Samuel 10. And immediately after, after being inaugurated as king in 1 Samuel 10, Saul then heard some scoundrels say, how can this fellow 
lead us, right? How can this fellow save us? And they didn't bring him any gifts, which was a huge insult. They didn't bring him any, it was inauguration day, they did bring, didn't bring any gifts to him. So a huge insult. And look at Saul's response compared to David. Look at Saul's response. But Saul kept silent. He kept silent. That is exactly what so many of us do with the voices of shame in our lives. We keep silent. We let them say these things and then we embrace them as true. See, our silence is ultimately our acquiescence. No wonder shame is wreaking havoc in our lives. We're letting it do that. We are letting it do that. We're not calling it out. We're just letting it speak garbage to our hearts and choosing to partner with it. We are choosing to believe it. See, the reason shame is impacting many of us in such a significant way is because we're letting it impact us. We're letting it impact us. We're adopting the posture of Saul. We keep silent. We keep silent instead of the posture of David. Call it out. Call it out. I see you, shame, and I am not partnering with you. I am not listening to your voice. I'm not believing your lies. I am not partnering in any way. I see you, and I'm not partnering with you. Now, how could David respond this way? Let's get really practical here. How could he respond that way? It's amazing. Really, his response is amazing. How could he do that? Well, I think I found the answer um, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a book I recently read. This book is about a totally different topic. Um, it's, it's called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage by Leslie Vernick. Fantastic book. Um, it's for women who are in marriages where their husband is using power and control to demean them and remove their dignity and remove their voice. So it's an emotionally destructive marriage, powerful book. But in this book, she talks about how women, one of the things that women in this kind of a situation need to do is strengthen their core. And when I read that, I thought, oh, that applies to th this book, but it applies to so many other things as well. Strengthen your core. That's, that's a phrase that is often used in physical training, right? I've heard it used in when I'm getting golf lessons, strengthen your core, swing with your core, all that. So it's used for physical training. But in this book, she uses it to describe a particular response to shame for women in marriages like that. But I want to use it to describe the response of all of us <clears throat> in, to voices of shame, wherever they come from. David had a really strong core. He knew who God was and he knew who he was. He knew he was beloved by God. He knew that God loved him and that God was with him. When that truth is at the core of your being, shame has a much harder time landing. I mean, you are able to call it out when it happens. You're able to see it and recognize shame's voice. And then you respond out of your core. You respond out of your core. You respond out of your identity. See, no matter where shame comes from, our spouse, our children, our parents, our boss, our boyfriend or girlfriend, our fellow students, social media, the world, no matter where shame comes from, if your core is strong, that shame won't be able to land a punch. 
It won't be able to land a punch. It won't be able to pull you in to that self-hatred, that cycle, that hiding, all of those places that we've been talking about, addiction, all that stuff. It won't be able to pull you into those places because you see it and you choose to not partner with it. You choose to not believe it. Again, the voice of shame only impacts us if we believe what it is saying. Saul did believe it. He did believe it. David chose not to. And that made all the difference in the entire trajectory of their lives. That made all the difference. You see, if we want to live in wholeheartedness, if we want to experience greater levels of wholeness, it is absolutely essential that we strengthen our core, that we strengthen our core so that we know and embrace what is true from God's perspective. And we choose to partner with that. We choose to partner with that. Okay, so, so how do we do this? How do we do this? One of the, one of the critical aspects of this is being able to recognize shame when it's coming at us. You got to recognize it. We've got to be able to see it so we can call it out. It, and, it, and, and by the way, it's not as simple as saying, oh, Satan lies to us, so we just need to embrace the truth. That's true to a point. That is really true to a point. But with shame, the issue is a little more complicated than that. Because sometimes when Satan whispers, sometimes what Satan whispers to us is partially true. It's partially true. He reminds us of our past failures. He reminds us of those sins and those regrets in our past. Boy, did you mess that up. What a horrible, that was a bonehead decision as a dad. That was, boy, you really messed that up. He reminds us of those things. These things are true, right? We're guilty. We're guilty. But here's what Satan does that we have to be able to recognize. Satan tries to take our guilt and turn it into shame. He takes our guilt and he tries to turn it into shame. You call yourself a Christian after what you did? <laughs> what, a hor what a horrible mother you are after yelling at your kids like that. Right? Notice what he's doing. Guilt, but he's going to take our guilt and he's going to turn it, try to turn it into shame. Why don't you just give up being a, a husband? You're lousy. Just give up trying to be a good husband. You'll never meet her expectation. All these voices of shame, guilt turning into shame. That's what he does. And so we got to, I've got to ask here, are, are, are you able to discern? Am I able to discern the difference between guilt and shame? This is huge. See, guilt is, is feeling bad. It's about something we've done. I did this. Yes, I did that. I made that mistake. Absolutely. Shame is an attack on who we are. It's an attack on our identity. And, and it, right. And, and, and that's, that's the critical thing here. We've got to, we've got to discern the difference between guilt and shame. So when Satan reminds us of our guilt, i.e. something we've done, our response should be, you're right. You're right. I'm guilty of that. But Jesus is my defense attorney, so go take it up with him. Seriously, that's the way we respond. We're not going to argue, oh, I didn't do that. No, I did do that. But Jesus is the one covering for me on that. You take it up with him. Right? But when Satan starts 
stirring up shame. That was for guilt. When he starts stirring up shame in our hearts, how could you call yourself a Christian? You're lousy, blah, 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 all that stuff. Our response needs to be the response of David. We call it out. Shame, I see what you're doing, and I'm not having any of this. I know who I am in Christ. I am not partnering with you. I am not arguing with you. I'm not going to listen to you, right? That's the key with shame. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm just not partnering with you. Now, here's what's really, really powerful. Here's what's so cool. It, God is so good, right? He, he, God has, has given us an amazing resource to help strengthen our core. Um, this is one of my favorite Bible passages, all of scripture. I, I look at it. I think about it. I refer to it all the time. So if you have your Bible, um, Bible app, feel free to turn to Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. This is so powerful about how to strengthen our core. Here it is. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is such a powerful verse. God has given us His very own Spirit. We looked at this last week, Romans 5 says, uh, you know, the Spirit, all that. But we, we saw the Spirit pouring out the love. This kind of shows us more detail here. So the, God's given us His very own Spirit. And according to these verses, the Spirit is doing a couple of very specific things in us. One thing He's doing is the Spirit replaces our spirit of fear with an Abba cry. So the Holy Spirit replaces our spirit of fear with an Abba cry. Now, fear and shame are like two sides of the same coin. I mean, they're, they're just, they're cousins in this, right? They, they, they are so closely related. Our shame often comes from this fear of failure, this fear of being exposed, this fear of not being enough, and therefore we're not worthy of love and acceptance, right? So fear and shame, they're so closely related. And Paul says, look, God hasn't give you, given you a spirit of fear so that you have to be enslaved to people's opinion of you, enslaved to your own performance. No, he's not given you a spirit of fear. He has given you a spirit of adoption by whom... By whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, by this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba is what a young child would call their dad, right? We might translate this, Daddy. And now, now and I know that for some of you, for some of you, the idea of God being dad is really hard for you uh, because of a, a negative experiences that you have had with your own dad. I get that. I get that. But, but God wants us to know he is a perfect father. He is a perfect father. He is your Abba. You can rest in his love. So what is a perfect Abba's love like? Well, it means his love for you is not based on your performance. It's not based on your appearance. It's not based on your successes or your failures. It is based completely on Jesus' work on the cross. Right? God's love invites us to rest from all that performance stuff. 
So here, here's, here's a question related to this. When, when is the last time that you just sat in the Lord's presence and let him love you? You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. You just enjoyed his love. See, that's where our core gets strengthened. That's where our core gets strengthened. It's in his presence. It's when the Holy Spirit in you is stirring this cry, Abba, Daddy. And we're letting the Holy Spirit stir this cry in us. Okay, so that, that's one thing the Spirit is doing, but that's not all. There's something else the Spirit is doing in us to help strengthen our core. Look again at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is absolutely amazing. What Paul is saying is that part of the Spirit's ministry in you and me, part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in us is to continually remind us of the truth about who we are in him. The Spirit is continually whispering to our souls, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. I love you. You are precious to me. You are accepted and loved. Nothing can never change that. See, the Spirit is saying that. You think, well, where is that in the verse? Well, look, what does it mean to testify? To testify means to speak of something that is true. A person who is testifying is speaking. They're not silent. They are speaking. The Holy Spirit is continually testifying. He is continually speaking to our hearts that we belong to him, that we are loved, we are valued, we are accepted in him. So that's going on. The Spirit is speaking to our hearts. The question is, are we listening? See, the more we listen to that voice, the stronger our core becomes. The more we listen to the Spirit's voice, the stronger our core becomes. We now have this place in us from which to respond to the voices of shame, right? We can more and more live like David, who refused to allow his brother's words to land in his heart. He just refused to allow it. He chose to live out of his identity as God's beloved. And we have that same choice. You and I, every one of us here, we have the same choice. When these voices of shame rear their ugly head, we get to decide, who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to listen to? What shame is saying to me or what God is saying to me? That this one truth has so significantly impacted my life. I could tell multiple stories, um, but one that stands out happened to me a few years ago. I was reeling from a, a pretty difficult season of ministry here, was exhausted, felt kind of beat up, was doubting my own calling and comparing myself with other people, feeling inadequate, all that stuff. Honestly, shame was just kicking me in the rear. Shame was wreaking havoc. So one afternoon, I was just doing some, some just reading and praying, and, um, and, I, and I felt like the Lord started to put his finger on a question that was rolling around in my head, kind of in my heart. He began to put a finger on this question. Here was the question. Am I enough just being me? In other words, do I have to be someone else, like someone else in order to, you know, be successful in your eyes? Do I, do, am I enough just being me? 
So I felt that question kind of stir up in me. And so I just decided to ask the Lord. So Jesus, what do you think? Am I enough being just me? And the Holy Spirit started to speak to my heart these wonderful truths about how he sees me and how proud he is of me. And a particular scripture came to mind that seemed to be just for me. And I began to, to weep. I, I so needed to hear his voice telling me these things. I mean, I had been passively listening way too much to the voices of shame, just passively listening to those voices. And, 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 and how that was impacting me. I was, I was just passively listening rather than calling them out and choosing not to partner with them. So the Holy Spirit is so good. He is so good. He so wants us to live our lives free from shame. And he is diligently working to that end. Are, but the question is, are we willing to cooperate with him? Are we willing to cooperate with him? This is a, this is a continual process. Shame, we, then we respond. It's just a continual thing. It's not like, oh, I'm never going to have a thought of shame. No, it's this continual process. And are we going to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit, letting him strengthen our core so that we are choosing to listen to his voice instead of the voice of shame? Which voice are we listening to? That's the critical issue. Let's pray together. So I want to lead us in a time of prayer where we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us in the midst of our shame. So I'm just going to be kind of a guide. This is going to be between you and the Lord. But in order to do that, I, I, we need to first get our minds and our hearts into this posture of listening. So just close your eyes. Kind of take a deep breath. Just quiet your heart. So Lord Jesus, we ask, would you bring our minds to rest? We ask that you would silence any external voices and bring our thoughts to rest. We ask that you would bring to rest any emotions or thoughts that would not be helpful. Bring them to rest right now. Okay, Lord Jesus, would you show us what is the biggest message of shame that each one of us is listening to in our lives? Would you bring that to each one of our minds right now in a way that we can receive it? What is the biggest message of shame that we are listening to? Okay, you can just keep, keep your head 
keeping your head bowed, I just want to encourage you, just ask you actually just a favor for me. Just raise your hand if there is a specific message of shame that's coming to your mind right now. Just quickly raise your hand if, okay, great. A number of you, great, okay, awesome. So if, if you don't have a message of shame coming to mind, that's totally cool. Don't be ashamed, okay? Seriously, it's totally cool. All right, we're, we're good here. God has each one of us on a journey here. But if, but if, for those of you who do have a specific message of shame come into your mind, let me just continue to lead us, kind of lead you in this, in this prayer. So Jesus, would you show us, is this a message of shame or a message of guilt? In other words, is this about something we have done or about who we are? So if what's coming to your mind is a message of guilt, then in the quiet of your heart, I want you right now, ask Jesus to forgive and cleanse you right now. Bring that sin to the cross. Even if you've done it before, if it's still coming to mind, just bring it to the cross and leave it there. Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So I'm just saying, if you have confessed that, you're forgiven. There is no condemnation. So can you receive that right now? Can you receive that? You are forgiven. Just receive it. Okay, now if what was coming to mind is a message of shame, maybe it was guilt turning into shame, but it was a, it's this message of shame, let's just ask Jesus about that, okay? So Jesus, is this really true? Is this something that you want them to believe? Okay, the answer is no. Assume it is here right now. I just want to encourage you in your heart, picture handing this lie, handing this shame over to Jesus. Just hand it over to him. Is he willing to take it? Then let him take it. Okay, now, Holy Spirit, what's the truth that you want them to believe? Each person, what's the truth you want them to believe? Now, are, are you able to receive that truth? Embrace it. Embrace what the Spirit is saying to you. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking for all of us here, those who... We're hearing something from you specifically, those maybe who weren't all of us here. Would you help us all walk in truth? Help us continue to call out 
the messages of shame, to recognize them, to call them out, and then to hear your voice reminding us that we are your beloved sons and daughters. So you can just keep your head bowed for a moment. I just want to say that that was just a simple prayer process to try and identify and call out shame and to let Jesus speak the truth. That's a process any of us can do. Um, even if we didn't hear anything in this prayer time, don't beat, your up, beat yourself up over that at all. Just pay attention. Just in your, in your days, coming your, the, the, the days of your life, just pay attention. Keep paying attention to the voices of shame and the voice of the Spirit. Now, there may be some of you who feel like God was beginning to work um, but it's not complete. Maybe there was a memory that came to mind and you just you realize this shame is rooted in something. You just kind of need to pray through further. I want to encourage you with our, the ministry here called Hope Abounds. That's what it's for. It's a free ministry here. You can call the church and set up an appointment for that. So Lord, we, we just seal what you've done in, in our hearts and we embrace this journey that we're on and we ask you to help us. Lord, we pray for a greater work in all of us, helping us walk in freedom from shame and more and more embracing the truth of who we are in you. So I pray that for all of us, God. And even now, Lord, as we transition from from prayer to these songs that we've chosen prayerfully just to reflect these, these things and to give us words and, and melodies to express these things to you. So set us free right now to worship you, to worship you. So why, why don't we stand? If you want to sit down at some point, that's totally cool, but let's begin standing. Jesus, set us free, set us free to worship you. Holy Spirit, be pouring out love in this place as we do that.